Staying at Home episode 13 today with Eric Ulbricht, as American people would pronounce your name. Erich, uh, how how does your name get pronounced properly? Hey guys, um, so I'm from Germany, so it sounds a bit more aggressive when you say it in um, German. Um, it's Erik Ulbricht. Very nice. I'm so happy that you're finally here. We've been spending probably six months talking about finding the opportunity to finally record an episode. And I'm so happy that we made this happen. Um, we are basically always busy with stuff and never really get our shit together until today. So that's good. Eric, um, Erich, uh, <laughs> what are you doing for a living? What is the reason why I think people should hear about you? Okay, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, for me, it's an, a, a pleasure to be here and, and to talk. And um, looking at the lineup and the guys that you had before me, uh, to be in a podcast lineup with um, Mr. Grasa and Mr. Palmer is It's honoring, so thanks for that. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, I'm a designer. I'm a product designer. Um, and today the topic is design in general, um, the projects I did and some tips and tricks or how to become a designer and what my job actually is. Sounds absolutely amazing. I've been following your work for quite a while. I think the coolest coolest project at least what most people know about you and this goes back to the motorsports bubble that you and i basically live in yes um is the 2018 Seven, GTM trophy? 17 i think 17 17 i think okay cool that uh was i wasn't really surprised but i was really happy when i saw that you won the contest it's like yeah i mean there was not really a choice uh when you when you uh, pushed your design and i followed the contest over over the period they had it on on the social networks and i'm super happy and it even went to the right driver to the deserving deserving champion that year not only one um looking back um and the history the dtm has the last years um with audi leaving with uh, mercedes leaving and everything um around that i have to say um my trophy um is a big part of the DTM history and I'm overwhelmed and grateful for that because the first trophy or the first guy that got my trophy was um, Rene Rust in his rookie year so he made an uh, or had an incredible career um, and looking back maybe in some years when people say oh who was this Rene Rust guy who was so amazingly successful the first year he got a trophy this will be pictures of my trophy and also the last season Mercedes drove um, Gary Paffitt got it so when people look back and say oh Mercedes was a big part of the DTM and the last yeah. year they ever raced they also got my trophy so uh, for me that's um, I'm really grateful because when I was little I was like 11 years old or something uh, my mom and I we went to the DTM and watched the races and um, even went live and um, it is a it is a big big part of my life um, and to be part of that it's I, I, I couldn't really uh, understand it for a long time that I'm now Or that I contributed to that racing series in that way. Yeah, and it's uh, absolutely, absolutely fascinating how in such a short period of time things have changed uh, for the DTM in particular, um, which, you know, I grew up watching Bernd Schneider with his uh, AMG with, uh, I think it was Yellow Mirrors mm -hmm. and the Vodafone branding. And this guy was always class act. I actually got to meet him once at the Nürburgring and um, this was the first and only moment I had like a super fan boy just went up to Bernd and was like, hey, thanks for making my childhood great <laughs> yeah he's like what what <laughs> yeah yeah i, I had a, a similar maybe funny story with uh, mika hekinen when he was um, racing for mercedes in the dtm um because they had like this big event where you could um, listen to an interview and he was on a big stage um, at the mercedes hospitality and they sent the kids to the front um 
So they said, yeah, you can go past everybody and you stand in, stand in the front. And then he was giving autographs and he was speaking to me in English and I couldn't speak English. I was like 11 years old. Um, but I just smiled and laughed and was like, yeah, you're my hero. I don't understand. But if you laugh, I laugh. So it was really cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, quite quite amazing to not only follow the sport, which way too little people unfortunately care about, but also to uh, be able to look behind the curtain and to see the the people that uh, make motor racing so interesting and also such a great great family sport really but uh we we didn't came here to talk about uh dtm too much yes. um, besides the fact that it's uh from this year on will not be relevant at all <laughs> anymore <laughs> i wouldn't say that in particular but uh, we, we can we can uh, maybe uh come back to the topic in the end but uh, we We will make a very uh, less professional, very less serious episode at some point and talk about this in all uh, fanboy banter manner <laughs> uh, later. Um, so, so when did you figure out that you have a passion for design and how did this manifest in your life? Okay, um, it didn't start as a passion for design per se in the beginning. Um, when I was young, um, I was like seven years old, eight years old. I I had a burning passion and I still have for cars and all that is related to it. So the automotive industry, industry in general. And from that, um, I always wanted to work in that industry, but I didn't know how. Um, but I had this car passion inside of me. And then um, I think it was like when I was 15, 16 years old, I started sketching and drawing cars. And I had a really amazing art teacher from China, Mr. Su. And he taught me how to draw basically anything because almost anything that you see in the world can be dialed down into basic shapes like a cube or a cylinder or something like that and if you know the basics of lighting and shading and um, the basic forms in, uh, behind every object then you can basically sketch anything and it was a given for me to start sketching cars and get into sketching and drawing um and Another inspiration for me was Chip Foos. Um, he's a hot rod designer from America and he does these amazing marker sketches. And when I combined those two passions or hobbies I had, um, I wanted to become a car designer. And with that, I think from the age 16 on, I knew I wanted to be in the uh, design industry. Um, and as I grew older, more and more interests um gathered into that one interest or I, I i got more and more interests let's put it that let's put it that way um for example watches i'm a big fan of of uh, wristband watches and then i knew okay I, i don't want to sketch only cars but i want to make beautiful things in the world in general so that's when i um came across product design and um from there on in my school life, I, I I was sketching anything that I could could imagine from from household products to cars, mostly cars. <laughs> And still today, most of your Instagram is really really cool car sketches and design ideas, which I always uh, enjoy looking at. But uh, you said something um, really really interesting in the beginning about every design can be basically broken down to shapes and forms can you elaborate a little bit more um how that works for like the the person that let's say looks at uh, at a logo or uh, you know some some object like how uh, how does a How do you start with a simple shape? Because obviously, let's say I'm I'm drawing a circle or a square, but that doesn't create anything recognizable, right? It's just a generic shape. So how do you start from a generic shape to something like, let's say, Nike's swoosh or the three stripes of Adidas or the three-pointed star? 
Um, okay, first of all, you have to differentiate between the different areas of design there are. So a product designer is a designer that makes products that you can actually hold in your hand like the iPhone or like a glass or a toothbrush. Um, whereas a logo designer or a graphic designer is more focused on the visual elements that you can find, for example, um, in print media or in, in, in the, on the internet, for example, like I said, logos or typography. So you have to differentiate between those two main areas, I would say. And then you have um, more specialized design jobs. For example, if you ha are a product designer, you can also go into fashion design, but it is also a separate um, field of study in university because for, for example, fashion, you need to know how to put together clothes. You need a little bit more specialized knowledge about fashion in general or how to put together clothes, like I said. Um, so I can't tell you exactly how to put together a good logo, um, but, or at least what I meant in the beginning, um, with the shapes and sketching um, basic forms is more about um, the product design. Like, for example, if you want to design the iconic VW bus, you know, the, the, the T1, for example, the old one, the, yeah, the, hippie, the hippie bus. bus. Yes, <laughs> the hippie bus. Um, the basic shape of it is um, a big, not, not a cube, but like a stretched out cube. And then the edges are rounded off and then you have your basic shape and, and then you can, um, put more and more details in it and more and more, um, uh, yeah, for example, lighting and shading to make the form appear three dimensional because when you're sketching and you have like your basic shape or your basic, um, layout of the form that you want to create and you put light and shadow in it, you basically trick your eye to see it in 3D, even though it's not. And that's how you can communicate through a piece of paper, through that sketch, what you want to show other people. So, um, for example, the iPhone is, it's the same thing. It's, it's a rectangular device again, and the edges are rounded off and you start with the basic rectangle and then you add the elements um, step by step until you have the little, little details like the buttons. And even the buttons are basic shapes um, with more and more detail. And starting from that basic shape makes it easier to sketch in the right perspective to, like I said, trick the eye. Um, to see or that you can communicate in the right way. Because in the end, sketching is just a way of communication because I can tell you what I want to do or what I see in my imagination. But if I, if I paint the picture, please imagine a green elephant, you have an entirely different elephant in your mind than I have. So sketching just makes it easier to communicate ideas and that's the main purpose of it. So basically, like when someone makes, let's say, ice or stone sculptures, they start with the same concept, right? They start with like a simple shape and then they work the details into the thing. But you have it maybe more difficult because in the first thing, you need more imagination to basically start in a two-dimensional environment and already figure out how will it look in a three-dimensional space. Exactly. But um, you have to see that um, for a designer, it's very good to work also three-dimensional. So that's why we have software nowadays, um, CAD, like computer-aided design, or you can build models uh, with, with paper, just simple handheld prototypes um, to see how would it look in, th uh, in, in a three-dimensional space? And that's also a part. If you, if you can't really imagine it on paper or if you have um, struggles doing that, then there's no harm in just doing a little mock-up out of paper and um, starting from there. And then when you have, for example, the basic shape, you can sketch it easier because you have seen it in 3D and you can turn it around. That's super, super interesting, especially when we talk about like things that we all know, car design. And I think they have quite changed for better or for worse in the last uh, few decades. But do you think the resources of CAD and like being able to create 
objects like cars in a virtual space kind of has harmed um, design of products or vehicles or is it more like a blessing because I hear a lot of people saying uh, they don't make them like this anymore cars like uh, look all the same today like what um, or same with phones right you know the the way smartphones look has not really changed in the last decade so is is the, this all this aid and this technical advancement that we made maybe a problem that we get less creative or is it rather the opposite? Um, I think it's rather the opposite. I think it's a good um, thing because it, first of all, it speeds up the design um, process and also gives you more freedom and more opportunities. Um, you can create way better um, surfaces and shapes. For example, if you look at, a, for example, the new BMW nowadays, um, or in general, all the new cars. Oh boy. <laughs> no, <laughs> all the new cars in general, um, the, the surfaces they have are, are perfect. Um, you, have to, you have to think about um, the way they design it nowadays is, Every single reflection that you see on that car is there for a purpose. They change the surfaces and and how it um, how it reflects the lighting um, in a way, and they change it over the course of the design process many many times until it is just perfect. And you you can do that with a clay model, for example, like they did in the old days. That's why they still have the old methods in place. Um, but nowadays it's just so much more precise and you can you can just do things nowadays that you couldn't imagine in the old days. And I think personally, um, the saying, um, the cars nowadays look all the same and it wasn't like that in the past is not entirely true because if you look at the cars from the old days, you have some cars that you remember that became icons and you will have that too in, in, in the modern ages. Um, but you have to give it time and saying that the cars nowadays all look the same. is not really true. Of course they follow the same trends. That's why, for example, you said, Oh boy, but BMW makes this huge <laughs> grill because it's a trend that we see in general. If you look at Lexus, for example, they have a huge grill in yeah. the front. BMW, um, Audi started it also. Mercedes nowadays ha has a huge grill. Um, of course it's the same trend because that's what people like nowadays, more or less. And if you look back in the past, for example, you had a trend of these fins at the end of the cars, for example, in America, it was huge. You had these Cadillacs. Fins. Yeah, Cadillacs. Yeah. And you even had, um, I think, cars from the Soviet Union adapting the same style, more or less. You could say, yo, the cars in the olden ages, they all look the same. It's not true. Every car um, is different and you have basic trends everybody follows. And I think looking back, back at time, you don't see... The thousands of cars there were, but you pick your f maybe four or five favorites and they could be entirely different. And then you say, oh, look, in the past, they were all different. And that will happen to the cars nowadays, too. Yeah, I, I think the, the example of the current uh, particular four, four series and three series BMWs um, is quite controversial, which the grill is not my problem with this car. My problem with this car is the headlights, ironically. Um, which I think they look way not like the main thing what was imposing about a BMW was the lights, at least for me personally. Mm -hmm. And now the grill gets so much attention that the lights kind of look adorable or like, you know, it, it doesn't really match up with the thing, but that's just my subjective thing. But the same thing happened to me with the new S-Class where I'm like, oh my God, what did they do? due to it and then i saw the like the s-class that is now uh, getting replaced on the road and i was like yeah they actually did the right thing like judging products on pictures is or videos is always always so challenging and that's why i have so much respect for people like you that come up in a two-dimensional start with a two-dimensional sketch and are able to translate this to ultimately a physical shape while 
I, the design interested person, but totally not knowledgeable person, I always see things on pictures and they never look the same. Like when you see them in physical shape uh, in, in front of you, which for me is quite comedic. Yeah, and you always have to think about the time the design is actually made in. Um, BMW is a brand that has always been experimental and very bold. Um, because you said the, uh, or you asked about CAD um, and the software part of design. Um, looking back, if you if you think about the BMW 3 Series and B BMW design um, in the 90s, um, and then the change to the more modern cars, um, the designer in that area or in, in that time was Chris Bangle, and he changed a lot. Um, during his time, for example, the iconic BMW 6 Series, the first one was released. Um, the iconic BMW 5 with the 10-cylinder um, engines. Yes. Yeah. Um, that was all and his work. The 7 Series. <laughs> yes. And, and the thing is, if you compare that 7 Series to the predecessor, it was a huge step forward because of all the changed um for the possibilities and all the computer aided progra programs and stuff like that, you know, like the software and he needed to be bold. He needed to lead BMW from pre computer times to the after computer times. And I think he did a marvelous yeah. job. It, it was incredible. Of course, some people hated it, but in the end, um, it was from basically a, a car that you would sketch on paper like very edgy like edgy and boxy to let's say let's face it quite modern shapes and and was really creative and and a huge step forward in design and in that time it it was amazing and it led bmw to the amazing cars that we have now and bmw is doing the same thing at the moment i think with the new front grill um i would have loved if they would introduce it maybe over maybe two series um to make the grill every single time a little bit bigger or change the design so that the user is not like it, overwhelmed it, yeah it feels like the bmw is hitting you right in the face at the moment and i think it, it needs time to adapt because in general at first i didn't love it um but i think it will grow on us yeah, I, I think so too. And for, for me, like looking at um, cars from Asia, and I, I think the Chinese market in particular is very uh, interested in prestige, which means big grills uh, in cars, basically. Yeah, but we have um, to be um, like, you have to look at the Chinese um, design market or Chinese car design in general, because they are doing an amazing job at the moment. For example, I'm having a close look at the car brand Neo because mm -hmm. they have their design um, bureau in Munich. So they, they, they pick all the ingredients and everything that makes a car high quality that we know in, from Europe, but their expertise in, in production, everything. So Neo's cars are actually they are pretty good yeah it's 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 just so fascinating how everything is co connected and obviously i don't want to only talk about cars um not for the sake of me but for the sake of the audience yeah we should we should, we should turn back around to product design i guess yes um but yeah it's what so we talked about the different uh, categories um of design and designers and the different approaches to it but um what does it need to be a designer in general because obviously um the first thing for someone from the outside comes to the mind would be oh yeah you need to be really great at uh, computers and you need to be really great at uh at drawing or yeah drawing stuff but is that really all there is to be a good designer? Uh, no. Um, the, there are two answers. First of all, you don't need to be afraid if you're not a good sketcher. 
um, that doesn't mean that you will be a horrible designer because a designer needs more skills than that. Um, a, a good designer, for example, is a great communicator and sketching is one part of that. Like I said in the beginning, um, sketching makes it easier to communicate what you want to do. If you are not so good in sketching, but you're amazing in CAD and you can render amazing pictures, there's a, there's a place for you in every company, uh, every big company nowadays has somebody who who does computer generated pictures like renderings um, to to show their designs and new products um, you need to be creative you need to be um, a person that is interested in in so many different fields a designer is not an expert um, in in one area you need to know about many areas a little bit so you need to be very curious and interested in many topics and uh, yeah that's that's a skill in itself to to stay curious and to be interested in so many things um of course you need to be a good sketcher to be a really good designer um and you need to work on every single skill and every single craft um also you need to be disciplined um designers always seem to be these unorganized creative types but if you really want to get something done you need to be organized as well and especially if you look at creative work and the design process you start from nothing and it's a very messy process and that's why so many people are overwhelmed and can't design and can't do that because they are overwhelmed by all the possibilities and all the options and all the things you could do and it is hard to dial it down to something that really works. And that's why you need to find a way to organize the work. And there are different tools that you can do or that you can use um, to bring some structure into that quite messy process. And if you're good at all of those things, that makes you, I think, in the end, a good designer. So what helps you to bring structure into your daily workflow? The most important thing is communication. Um, for example, if we if we would just pick an example, um, like a fantasy project, um, a brand comes to me and says, okay, for example, Makita, they make um, the drills, the power drills, and they say, okay, we need a new product. Um, at first, I need to listen um, what is the technology behind it? Um, what is it? Is it something new? Is it something really bold? Is it, is it a big statement on the market? Or do they want to preserve, for example, the heritage they already have and all those things? And at first you have the so-called briefing where you talk with the client and you define with them, what is the outcome that you want? Do you want something that's really bold and loud, for example? Um, or something more conservative. And if you have that briefing nailed, you know, like it's, it's, it's really good. Um, then you have, a you have something in your hands that, that you can work towards to, and that leads your way. And you always stay in touch with your client or with the people that you design for to always um, reconsider, am I on the right track? Are the decisions that I made, are they, the, the, uh, designs, the ideas, um, fitting for that purpose? Um, for example, I can talk about, um, the DTM trophy, why I designed it like I did, um, because I didn't design it just so it looks nice, but I had a, an imagine, like I imagined my, um, my own, um, briefing for that competition. Um, for example, I said the DTM is very loud, not only the engines, but it's, it's a sport, it's an event, it's something really interesting. It's sporty. So the trophy needs to be interesting as well. It doesn't, it, it shouldn't be something boring. It wouldn't fit the brand. And that's why I made it a lot like edgy and it looks different from every angle. So it doesn't get as like it doesn't get boring really fast because it is an interesting shape basically. And those are all the decisions that you make on the way. So the briefing is one thing and staying in contact with the client or reconsidering your decisions with what you want to end up in the end. That's, that's 
the main thing I say. So you've had the briefing, you started the concept design, you are now working on the details. When do you know you should stop working on something? Like, is there always a moment when you feel like I should have added more things or is it more like I should have left out more things? What is the moment where you like, feel happy or when you realize, okay, if I continue this, this is getting ridiculous. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I had an internship at Storz Design in Austria and Mr. Storz um, was a huge inspiration. And he once told me a really great designer can make decisions. And I see a lot of designers actually struggle with making decisions and saying, okay, this is the, this is the final product. This is where I stop because you can always do better. You should know when to stop um, because you can always fiddle it. You can always add something. You can always make it nicer. You can always change something. And it's really, really difficult for so many designers to actually stop and make the decision and say, no, this is good. This is what the clients wants. This is what the product should look like. This is it. Um, because you can always improve times change, uh, times change, uh, people change everything around a design changes. So the design has to change as well. That's why we have 10 iPhones that why we have so many different cars because also technology changes. And if you would say, okay, I want to have the perfect product that will survive forever. You will never be done and you will never release a product. So except it's a Leica camera, <laughs> but even they made more than one, even they. Yes. Oh, of course. Yeah. It's just like, you know, this, I think a lot of people, um, what I actually was joking about is a lot of people just think about like, I don't know, um, let's say I like a camera and just how uh, M9 or, you know, whatever their favorite generation is M7, M9. Um, and then everything that, that comes after at least if you read Facebook comments, which something obviously you should, you should never do <laughs> uh, everything, uh, after, um, seems to disappoint people like, because everyone loves a little different detail about the product, right? There's always, if it's a good design, many people fall in love with it for totally different reasons. So I think it's a big, big challenge to develop something um as iconic um or as influential as um an iphone or an uh, leica camera or something is is this also something you are afraid of the feedback of people that never have asked you a question or never really took the time to understand the design that they might be saying what is this? This is awful. Uh, who hired this guy? You know, the typical yeah, yeah. unqualified stuff that we all write in the social <laughs> networks. This is something you, you have in mind when you work on your projects. Uh, absolutely not because I am aware that everybody has, um, own taste, uh, own preferences. And even I, um, if I walk around and I see designs or if I see products, um, some, things I like and some things I dislike. And I have sometimes this split personality that I do not like something personally, but I admire it for everything that went into it. Um, because I know the designer made a lot of decisions, um, or the product management did a good job, but I just don't like it personally. So there's this difference between something like your personal taste and if something is really actually good. Um, so you can, for example, I would never say, for example, a car is horrible just because I don't like it, how it looks, because some other people just love it. And it is because of my personal taste that I don't like it and not because it's a rubbish product. I think that's something I particular, I think I'm in the process of learning, um, 
this for myself at the moment with um, getting more out there with creative um, creative work. I mean, I've been doing photography for over a decade now and um, was published in the New York Times uh, very, very recently. So, you know, I can pretend like I'm above everything, but like I'm, I always feel super sensitive to any sort of um, criticism or feedback of anything I do. Uh, let it be the podcast, let it be photography, or I'm also trying right now and to see if product reviews is something I like to do as a creative outlet just to you know have something to do more filmmaking and to do more stuff but uh, I'm really really paying maybe too much attention to what people say um, but it, it is really a very wise thing that it just said you know that it's just personal preference that is opinion and that doesn't necessarily say that uh, where you are, are right now at the at your craft um is that this is the final stop and your your horrible is more like this person that you know doesn't know what you like like something else and they just don't understand I, th I think this is something that uh, i'm learning right now big time especially with this um, project of staying at home podcast yeah yeah and um if if, if people are listening and then they can't take anything out of this podcast i have one thing that they should um keep in mind and if they only take the, the thing that i say now um home with them or it stays in their head then the whole podcast is 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 uh is is worth or has a lot of value um you ha always have to look behind the critique um is it against me personally or is it against my work um never ever ever think that because somebody critiques your work it makes you less valuable because oftentimes because we put a lot of heart into our product or into whatever we do if it's if it's a song if it's a photograph if it's a is it if it's a design or even a, a book that we wrote there's a lot of our self in it heart passion thought and if somebody critiques it he's critiquing that product and not us so we shouldn't take it to heart even though it's oftentimes hard um just just keep that in mind. It's it's not a critique against yourself. It's a critique against whatever you did and your work is not you. Yeah, I think it's it's so, so um, fascinating how much of the things we are unable to express with anything with anything else. You know, in, in the episode with Louis Laroche, um, we spoke about him, you know, really like feeling worried about the dying of club and bar culture in the UK. And the track that we used uh, for the intro was the first track of his album. And like he he had just he just had to make the song slash album to express how he felt. And sometimes, for me personally, most of the times, art is something super selfish. I mostly do it for myself um you know to feel good and to challenge myself and to then expect that everyone understands it i think it doesn't work that way and that's that's definitely a lesson worth learning that if you do something that comes from the heart and that does you know you you made and you enjoyed making um then you know it, there's a chance that people just won't get it so with being being in the creative workflow how do you stay inspired what is do you have any routines or do you look at certain artists because for me it's at some point gets super exhausting to be creative the tank at some point just is empty but you need to do this for a living you need to come up with stuff uh, so you can pay rent. How do you do it? <laughs> um, yeah, it is. It is oftentimes it's exhausting, or um, you just don't find the time or the energy to do it. Um, but I've done it now. Like I said, I started 
to be interested when I was 16. So it's like uh, nine years now. Um, so even I don't need every time a new inspiration or I need, I don't need to look at inspiration per se because I have um, seen so much now. So I always have something that I can um, think of, uh, that I've seen in the past. And it is something, for example, um, I work now for a company, um, Caveco, we make fountain pens and ballpoint pens. And, and, um, if you, if you want to come up with a good or a new idea, or if you want to, um, or if you need inspiration in that area, it, it, it's not, <laughs> you shouldn't only look at for example, fountain pens for inspiration, but you need to adapt ideas from other areas. So because I've looked at so many cars and watches and other things, art, architecture, um, I already, I already have some references in my head, but, um, for new projects, I, I always go on, on, if, if I, if, if I have no idea, and I have no references and no inspiration and I have no energy and nothing. If I come to that point, um, there is Pinterest, for example, where you just get hit with a lot of pictures or Behance where you have projects from other designers. And it is like, it's like when you start sketching and you have this empty page, the first line is always the hardest. So just do it. And after that, everything comes in a flow and in, with inspiration, it's the same thing. Um, if you have no idea, just look at something. And then from there you pick one detail, for example, one color or one shape. And then you're, you, you, you remember, oh, I've seen it there or something was quite similar there. And then from there on, it's just step by step by step by step. The hardest thing is to, to start. Um, so if you have no idea, no clue, just do something and something will come up. Yeah, that's also, um, like for me, I'm fascinated by listening to you and the things you say, because it really speaks to me and the struggles that I <laughs> have with anything I do is like, you know, once you get started, the same, like with doing the dishes, you just gotta start with it, uh, to, to come to a result and, it's it's for me you know especially I, I struggle so much with having creative blockades mm -hmm. you know to be a point where it's like i lost my fire for this i've done so many things and once i understood them and got for my personal standards good enough at them i kind of lost um the interest into doing it you know because it's like they're everything improving from there is so much more effort. <laughs> yeah. What also helps is, um, having good, um, friends that are interested in maybe similar things or sometimes even entirely different things. Um, for example, inspiration for me is a good friend of mine, uh, Sebastian Moog. Um, he's also a designer, but he does graphic design and typography and, mm -hmm. Because of that, he has a different outlook on things or he sees things differently. Um, of course, he has different opinions and stuff like that. So if I have a blockade or if I sometimes don't know, I just ask him and he has a completely different view on the topic. And therefore, I get inspired because I have a new new viewing point. Um, so there's this, this, this mental picture of, of having to... Um, viewing points is for example if you have a, a cylinder and you look from one side it looks like a square but if you look at from the other side it looks like a circle so sometimes it's it's helpful to have somebody from a completely different um, professional field look at something um, or have inspiration from something entirely different because you have a new viewing point and from that viewing point the problem looks completely different and sometimes that's a good starting point i'm just so fascinated by by the whole bringing ideas into physical form um in in one of my next episodes i am having a jewelry designer um he goes by the name uh castro nyc mm -hmm. um he's the brother of a dear friend of mine um 
and I met him at uh, my my friend's uh, Aaron's wedding. And Aaron is a incredible, incredible uh, portrait uh, photographer or general people photographer. And uh, he has this <laughs> amazing uh, Broncolor umbrella. And when I was staying at his place, I was like, hey, I want to test it. And then his brother walked in. We did a few portraits uh, just for like the jokes and the the fun of it. And that's the guy that the New York Times wrote an article about and how my pictures ended up not only in online, but also in the inter international print edition. Nice. Um, and he doesn't live in the US. He lives in Istanbul. And he does really, really interesting, interesting ju jewelry designs. I will send you a link um, after after the or I tag you on something on Instagram right now so you can see what I'm talking about. But even if what he does is really like I would never wear or probably buy the things that he makes um, just because I'm not. In, interested that much into jewelry but i cannot stop looking at the work that he's doing because it's like fascinating and so different to to what usually you would see in this form which i find super interesting you know because i usually um usually don't really care about these things but sometimes things are so different that they spark your curiosity and you want to learn more about it yeah exactly and um yeah that's that's the curiosity curiosity i meant um that's the curiosity i meant in the beginning um you need to look at a lot of things and if you look at for example at the jewelry um that's something that can inspire you to for example do, do a watch design. If you look at, for example, the watches of Jacob and Cole, they are so crazy. I've never seen anything like that. It's really inspiring. Watches are a really, really interesting topic. And I'm happy you brought it up again because it is such a status symbol and it's such a crazy... I don't know if it's really a subculture, if that's the right term, but there's a, definitely a lot of people that um, are so obsessed about like the me mechanical things and the complications and, you know, talk about uh, Patek Philippe, IWC, Rolex, the things that uh, Ding Dong like me <laughs> knows glass hütte. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just because I talked to some people that really have a passion and for other people, it just tells the time. Um, but how does the mechanical aspects as a product designer influence your work? Watch are like watches are probably the extreme example of, um, that looks are just one aspect, but also needs to be like a mechanical thing. And do you have, you say you work on these, pens and obviously we all use pens and they all you know are long and have a thing that you point at paper and stuff appears <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> really well primitive put. Way explain. <laughs> um but how how much is it a limitation or inspiration to have to deal with all of these mechanical aspects or do you not work with i don't know the me mechanical parts of it um you have different um approaches and different designers you have designers that are more focused on the creative art side and they don't care about technology um, but for me as i want to create <coughs> products that can be used by anybody um, or like relevant products I need to know at least something about how these products are produced. I need to know about um, CNC machining. I need to know about um, um, molding, for example. I, I, I need to know about these um, things because these technology limit, limit me in, in the way they are produced because you cannot do anything with, um, for example, um, plastic molding. But if you know that, you can actually make beautiful products because you have a sense of what is possible and what is not. And you can challenge the things that are possible 
very specifically. So you can challenge um, the engineers, for example, and say, I know this is not possible. I know why. But can you think of a way to make that work? Um, it, it's a completely different approach than to just say, yeah, it looks beautiful. You have to do it. And they say, no, it's not possible. Yeah, do it. Um, so it is, it is sometimes it's limiting, but for me, that's, that's one thing that is really, really, um, that, that makes the fun in the, in the product development and design, because you have to work around the problems and you have to know about how things are made, how they are used. And, um, for example, back to the wristwatches, you cannot change the size of, of the movement. You cannot change a lot about it. So this is something we call an invariant, something you cannot change as a designer, but it's super, super interesting. It's, it's a lot of fun to work around that, to make it still work. And for me, some of the best products are pro products that are looking good, sometimes even only fine, but I see the designer worked around 10 problems and it would look absolutely hideous without a designer. So sometimes, um, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to work around the problems and quirks of technology or how to produce things. Quirks and features. Yeah. <laughs> um, fascinating. What would you suggest the staying, staying at home audience to, look into when they want to learn more about product design, like your discipline of what you're doing. Um, how can they take, what is the best way to take a look, um, into this world and get inspired and maybe even, um, start something like this for themselves? Um, basically like I did, um, I, I'm, I'm not that old. <laughs> I'm quite young. Um, so I can really remember that when I started, when I was 16, I, I was still in school, so I didn't have any mentors. I didn't know anything. Um, I was looking into, into a field where I didn't know anything. Um, so what I did was I, I YouTubed it basically. I, I watched a lot of YouTube videos. Um, inspiring people, for example, would be Scott Robertson to see how to sketch properly. Um, Sam Does Design is a student who showed his um, way through uni university. Um, and then you have companies that you can look into, like Layer Design from London. They do a great job of design, uh, Storz Design in Austria, where you can just look at projects or how they did things or noto design in, in Cologne in Germany, um, where you can just see what designers actually do or what good designers do and, um, check out what skills you need. And if you really want to do things at home and you're, you're starting out and you maybe even have an interest in design and you don't know what, what you should focus on is, Read books about design. There are great books out there. Like I said, Scott Robertson, for example, huge inspiration or huge learning resource for me in, in, in sketching and drawing. And um, look at your favorite products. Why are they looking like they are looking? Um, how are they produced? Um, which materials are they, for example, is it aluminum? Is it shiny or is it a matte finish? Why is it like that? Um, Every product also has a simple function. For example, the buttons are placed where they are placed out of convenience, not because it looks good. And then just do what you like. Like for me, it was sketching cars. But if you, if you, if you love toothbrushes, heck, sketch toothbrushes all day long and sketch and sketch and sketch and look, look at the products, not like we do 10 seconds on the phone, but really look at it. Why is everything placed where it is placed? The camera, the buttons, where you charge it. Or when you look at your glass, where you put your milk in in the morning or your, your cup or something, what are the shapes, the surfaces? And then what, like every product is, is made of surfaces. Look at the surfaces. Product design is all about the surfaces and lines. And 
with that, I want to come to my final questions with surfaces and lines. What, in your opinion, is your current most beautiful car to look at? Do you mean in general for me personally or of the newer ones that came out? Whatever um, you currently look at and are you find yourself completely in awe by looking at it okay um i have one car which came out and i was and i'm still i still absolutely adore it it's um it's a concept car from polestar the um swedish car brand the electric car brand and it's called polestar precept and it looks really elegant it is made out of hard shapes and hard edges it's it's very edgy very scandinavian Literally. <laughs> but if you look at the overall shape it is not a box so i think they've done an incredible job and i love every single angle of that car and i think that th this car is one of the cars that came out recently where it was like wow they they did an amazing job um another car would be also also from sweden um uh, not the regera uh, the last koenigsegg the gemera the, mm -hmm. the 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 four seater this is also an example where um uh the designer i, I can't remember his name i have to look it up um I think it's called the guy that Sasha. they poached from Bugatti. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think he's called Sasha. If I'm, if I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but he worked around so many problems that nobody ever faced. And if you look at the the chassis or what he was presented in the beginning for seats and this long car and maybe even four doors and the height and it needs to be comfortable. It it had so much so much potential to look super hideous, but he made it very yeah. sporty, very elegant, and it is not intimidating. It is it, you know and you see it is hugely powerful, but it's not hit you in the face with a shovel. It, it's it's very <laughs> for what it is. It is quite quite cons conservative, and and that's also something I really like um, about that car. So I would say the, the Swedes at the moment are. <laughs> doing a good job and um, I, w I was fascinated by by the Polestar precept in, in, in general I'm looking at it right now and, and there are two things come to my mind first off this car belongs into a Blade Runner movie <laughs> and the other other thing it reminds me in a way about the Lagonda the old Lagonda from I think the 80s yeah 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 with the with the um, pointy front yeah yeah, yeah. and it's a car that you need to look at it for a while to even be able to compute what the hell is going on <laughs> because it's so complex, but also so simple. It's, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. and not everyone probably will like it, but, the, um, I think the Lagonda is probably one of these cars that are in the line with a Polestar precept, um, that are, that definitely you need to really take a look at it to understand what is happening because the first impression is not the one that you actually have or that the car actually is be able to reduce down to. The old Lagonda for me is a car that I wouldn't buy because it looks pretty or something, but I would I would love to have it in my collection <laughs> if I had a car collection because of the super interesting interior. Yeah, uh, they were ahead of the time and that was also its problem. <laughs> but uh, my my favorite car designer, um, which has been now for a few years, is the Glickenhaus uh, 003. Mm -hmm. um, there's a black one in the United States. And when uh, my wife and I went to Miami the last time or one of the last times, we we saw it there was like some cars and coffee thing in the design district in miami and 
I saw this car on the Nürburgring. I saw it on the pictures. I watched excessively anything Glickenhaus on YouTube. I'm actually a proud owner of the top fan badge on Facebook <laughs> <laughs> of Glickenhaus. Nice. Um, but the 003 is such a stunning, timeless, wonderful car. I don't know if you if you know the exact model I'm talking about. Um I just looked it up. It's the it's the CGW3. Yeah, yeah, it's the um the the the, the super loud car on the Nürburgring, right? Yeah. yeah. The beast of the Nordschleife. Yeah. It's it's fascinating. It's just as I can look at this thing and never stop looking at it. It's uh, quite quite amazing. It's um the black car with the yellow wing is mwah. <laughs> yeah it's it's drooling it, it, over this because it's like a a racing machine basically it's it's incredible it reminds me of the radical rcx i think um with the closed closed um roof um which is even street legal which is still mind-boggling for me that this car like yeah. the radical is is street legal and it's 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 amazing car design wise i think um for me personally, Porsche is doing an amazing job because they preserve absolutely they preserve the the heritage and the history, and they are very careful about that. And the cars look so stunning. Um, so yeah, yeah, the nine nine two is probably uh, Porsche purists will get will get your pitchforks ready, but I think the nine nine two is the best looking Porsche uh, in many generations because it is in a way wonderfully backwards but also extremely futuristic i like I, I like the details it has but i don't like the basic proportion of it um i do like the 991 a little bit more so for me the perfect new age porsche would be the gt3 rs 991 with the 992 interior with the sweeping rear light and the pause brake lights with the bacon, as they <laughs> yeah. call it in the US. Yeah. <laughs> but it's actually yeah, a, it's... a pause button, you know? That's yeah, the inspiration I know, I know. behind it's... it. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> it is so funny every time I see it. Yeah. Uh, how how much the people that worked on this car must always giggle when they see uh, the pause light to light up in front of them. <laughs> Uh, awesome. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us and uh, giving us an insight into the fascinating world of designing and working on on products and what inspires you. I think it's really, really um, such an everyday thing that doesn't get enough uh, attention paid to. And I hope that with with that being said, um, you know, we find even more entertainment looking at things and products and objects and, um, you know, f f start thinking about how this was made. What was uh, what was the idea behind it? Because that will definitely um, add some pretty fantastic value to your everyday moments well said um thanks for having me it was really fun we could have talked i know that for sure for another three hours minimum easy uh, easy <laughs> um and um i can only offer for people that are really interested in design because i know it's an over overwhelming topic um that if you really have questions you can send them to me or you can somehow find me and, and ask me um i'm always open for for questions or feedback or anything so if, if somebody's interested they can easily shoot me a message on on facebook or instagram or something his instagram is at eriulb e-r-i-u-l-b yes we, we will link that to the show notes as always and um then i hope um you will continue to slash it in your career or slay it in your career rather um, as you already did. Um, I'm very, very excited to see you grow and develop um, your path. When you're famous, uh, make sure to thank me uh, in your awards 
I will invite you. I will invite you to the ceremony. Yes, free stuff. Um, yeah, <laughs> thank you so much. See you soon. I had so much fun talking about. As you said, I could have been doing this forever, but uh, if the audience hasn't uh, tuned out until now, they deserve a round of applause because uh, that was a lot of blabbering about things that you know podcast is a acoustic medium and we talk about visual things so if you have made it that fun episode you have a crazy amount of imaginary power and you totally should challenge yourself to design a thing or two yeah a lot of patience thanks for having me simon anytime anytime and this was episode 13 of staying at home thank you so much for being there with us and spending the hour listening to eric's journey through this really fascinating profession next week we will have former Yamam Special Forces Captain Itai, Dr. Professor Itai Gill is his title on the show and he will share some war stories with us and some memories about his time in active service and what is he up to now and how he ha happened up uh, happened to be in Chuck Norris's ranch so make sure to tune in next week and we are super duper excited to continue this podcast journey with you all and hear from you guys very, very soon. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>